0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Um, So what I wanted to talk about tonight is something uh, that I've shared in other um, circles and places uh, and this around the question, can we trust the Bible? Now, when I was uh, young, uh, in about year four, five, six, uh, I was bullied a lot for being Christian, for um, believing all this hocus-pocus Jesus stuff. And that pushed me down a path of questioning, is this true? Is it actually worth putting up with all this bullying and and name-calling and and, um, being pushed around? And so I... um, went and, and did a lot of reading, talked to a lot of people and kind of investigated the evidence. Well, I wanted to do that for myself. Is this book a reliable document? Can we trust what this has to say? Uh, and what I found is that the answer is yes, we can trust it. A very significant book for me is this one, More Than a Carpenter, um, by Josh McDowell. And... Um, in it, he talks about uh, there's there's three main tests that we apply to any historical documents. And these three tests uh, was uh, kind of um, uh, discovered or, uh, um, I don't know, not made up, determined by this guy called Chauncey Sanders. What a name, Chauncey Um Uh, C. Sanders in his book, Introduction to the Research in English Literary History. Now that sounds like a riveting read. Um, But those three tests is the uh, bibliographical test, the internal evidence, and the external evidence. So these three tests. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to apply these three tests to the Bible and ask the question, is this a reliable document? This These are the tests that are applied to any piece of literature, religious, irreligious, whatever, to determine if a document is reliable, if what it says actually happened. And so the first test is the bibliographical test, uh, a fun word to say. And effectively what this is, is what what... Uh, what um, resources? What, what? How many copies of this t- text do we have? As it's been transmitted from thousands of years ago, what do we have today that reflects to what was originally written? Another question uh, to ask is: Do we? What we have today does that actually reflect what was actually written? You know, two thousand years ago, three thousand years ago, fifteen hundred years ago. And there's two main um, pieces of evidence of data that's collected to figure this out. One is the number of manuscripts, and the other is the date of transmission. And so the date of transmission is how long from the, uh, the, the earliest uh, manuscript or copy of the document we have to the original document. So that's, that's the date of transmission. The other number of manuscripts, how many copies from around that time and fr- since then do we have of the original document? And so I want to um, kind of compare what we have in the New Testament to some other documents that we generally just trust as reliable and, um, and trustworthy. Uh, so to do that, I need... Four volunteers. have four volunteers. I'll just pick up. Sarah, do you want to come stand on the first X here? Clay, uh, uh, on the second. Actually, no, we'll, we'll start. We'll do one volunteer at the second. Why don't you go over to this end? Sarah, you can come. It's cross paths. That's okay. This is the point that we might want to zoom out on the camera. Because <laughs> it it, this does get a bit... So one of the um, most... Uh, well, well, one, one document um, that we have that we read and we kind of know history from is a document called Caesar's Gallic Wars. It's how we know what we know about August uh, Caesar, uh, Julius Caesar. And of that, we have 251 manuscripts, so 251 copies of that document. And the earliest copy we have is 950 years from when it was originally written. So you just think there's 950 years that has been transmitted, copied, saved, gone into someone's attic, found, returned—you know—all this kind of stuff for 950 years, uh, and somehow it comes to the the earliest document we that we have. And so to demonstrate this, we've uh, Clay, you'll find a basketball where you are. So the challenge here is the from the date of transmission, how accurate could we trust that, you know, considering it's got to go so far from the, la- le- the earliest copy to what we have now. So <laughs> how's your catching and just be careful the vase behind you. <laughs> so let's do this. Clay, if you want to transmit the document to the earliest copy that we have, see how we go. Oh, that was a good throw, good, good catch, good attempt. But you can see that—that's a long time, like. Right? So you know what we have is a lot of potential for changes or mishaps or miscopies or whatever, whatever it might be. The next um, reliable document is uh, Homer's Iliad, and this is uh, the, the 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 Odyssey that where we have um, uh, stories like Troy and. Kind of that kind of thing. And uh, there's 1,700 manuscripts. That's a fair amount of manuscripts. That's a lot of manuscripts compared to, uh, what was it, 251 um, of Caesar. Uh, but from here, could I have another volunteer? Nathan, do you want to come and stand on this X? This X represents 400 years of transmission from the earliest copy we have to when it was originally written. So if you want to... Re- Turn the ball. This is a two-way game now. And Nathan, if you want to transmit the document to the earliest copy that we have. Oh, good one. So, we, you know, 400 years is a lot less, a lot less room for change and all that. The next best document we have is, this one's fun to say, as in it's hard to say, uh, Sophocles Plays. So this guy wrote some plays. And there's 193 manuscripts, 100, 193 copies that we have of that, and it's about 100 to 200 years from when it was first written to when uh, to the earliest copy we have. So, volunteer. This is probably one of the easiest. Yes, you want to come up and stand on this X here and see. This is this is you know one of the challenging ones. Yeah, yeah, the one that's it's it's pretty close. Like, and if you want to transmit the document, oh, good job, good job. All right. So they're effectively the top three most reliable documents that we have outside of the New Testament. So keep, keep the, this image in your mind and then compare uh, the next slide. The New Testament, the earliest document is 40 years that we have from when it was first written. And we have 5,795 Greek manuscripts. That was in the original language. And then uh, almost 18,000 translations, early translations. So, what's that? About 24,000 copies, manuscripts. Just like blows every other document out of the park. And then 40 years in transmission. So, can we have a volunteer? This is literally the easiest <laughs> role. Jemima, oh, no, Sa- oh, yeah, no, Jemima, come on. <laughs> too bad, Sasha, too slow. So, hey, how uh, much time it was taken to transmit these things, transmit the document, there you go. <clears throat> you, uh, if you want to do the next slide, this is a um, visual representation uh, from visualunit.me Um uh, you can see that the the like in terms of um, bibliographical bibliographical test in terms of number of manuscripts, number of copies that we have that that say and, and point back to the original document and the amount of time it takes. It's just overwhelming the evidence that we have for the New Testament that what we have is what it said back then. Thanks so much, guys. You can sit down again. So that is the. Bibliographical test, and that is definitely a tick. Definitely a tick. We solve, uh, the New Testament definitely passed that test and just blows every other document out of the park. The next uh, test is the internal evidence. And this is effectively asking the question of, what is this document doing? Like, like what does it say? What, is, what, is, what kind of um, approach does it have? And is that uh, reliable? So like a play or a myth, you wouldn't necessarily tr- trust as history, but then a document that claims to be history and uh, and kind of demonstrates that, you trust as history. And so to, to apply this to the New Testament and thinking about the four uh, bibliographies of Jesus, and uh, which are the first four books of the New Testament, uh, uh, each are eyewitness accounts or close to eyewitness accounts. So, um, Even uh, some of the letters, like one Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 refers to all these eyewitnesses and even says there's some witnesses that are alive today. So not only is it uh, evidence provided, but verifiable evidence is provided in the New Testament. And then of the four... um, Bibliographies like there's one, Luke claims to be a historian, that he's gone out and done the work to research and ask questions and to tell uh, his sponsor what actually happened around this Jesus guy. John writes to convince that we might believe, Mark is uh, telling the news. He says, "This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ." Let me tell you what happened. And Matthew uh, writes to demonstrate how Jesus is the fulfillment of Judaism. Writes to a very specific group. So each of the gospels have a purpose that they claim to have. Like so, the internal evidence is that they uh, they um, claim to be historians, to be news writers, and that's. Um, That's one part of the internal evidence test. The other part is how honest are they? Because if they're embellished and everyone looks great and they they write to make the the writers look really fun and great, and you get a lot of that in a a lot of the other texts we talked about, like what Julius Caesar says about himself makes him look like the greatest uh, ruler of all time. And, you know... it's hard to believe if he's if he's embellished and brought up so much, but you look at the authors of the New Testament and how honest they are in how they talk about the events that happen. Uh, the disciples, uh, like Peter, who just keeps stuffing it up, and he's uh, said to be the the key witness to Mark's gospel. There's. Um, uh, other things like the first witnesses to the empty tomb, like the most significant historical event in the Gospels, were witnessed by women. And if you understand the, the time back then where a, uh, a witness had to be male, because that was just the world they lived in, to say a woman uh, was the first witness would, would reduce the credibility. And so the only reason they would put that in is if it actually happened. And so there's this, there's this real honesty in the, the documents that kind of provide this evidence that what, they, what it says is, is likely to be true. So there's that internal evidence. So the internal evidence is another tick. We've, we've passed that one. Although there is there is a, um, a caveat to that that we'll get back to later. The next test is the external evidence. So this is what other documents are there that kind of corroborate corroborate what the New Testament talks about. And uh, there's two main options, two main places to turn. There's different texts written by by other historians. uh, And there's actually quite a lot. Um, The Babylonian Talmud, there's Josephus and um, uh, Tacitus. Uh, But let me read you, uh, what Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, said about Jesus. Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it to be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with, with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. And when Pilate at the succession of the principal men among us, sorry, suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross. Those that he loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again. uh, The third day, as the divine prophets had foretold, these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct at this day. Faithfully saying, there's this guy... You know, in in uh, Jerusalem, in this area, that Pontius Pilate crucified. Now, that's uh, uh, something that the Gospels talk about and share. That's verifiable evidence. He says that he rose on the third day. And that's a really big claim. Now, this guy's a, a Jew, and so he's he's not Christian. He doesn't actually believe any of this, but he's reporting what has been um, uh, what what has happened. There's another guy, uh, Cornelius Tacitus, uh, who is a um, Roman historian, and he says this: Christus, or which is another word for Christ, uh, from whom uh, the name has its origin. He's talking about origin. He's talking about Christians suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of the uh, procurators, Pontius Pilate. Again, verifying what the Gospels have said about Jesus. And a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their centre and become popular. What a great thing to say about Rome. But what he says is this mischievous superstition. What he's talking about is this resurrection, this ludicrous idea that Jesus rose from the dead, these Christians keep claiming that it happened and they're dying. And in this text, he talks about how they're being martyred for believing this outrageous idea that this guy Christ rose from the dead. And so that's some of the external writing that kind of reinforces the the New Testament. But then there's also archaeology. Because the New Testament, it kind of reference all these cities and all these things happening. And if we think bigger than the New Testament, the, in the Bible, there's all these different nations and people and stuff happening. And so there's, there's all this archaeological evidence. Now, a key thing to share is that the Bible has not been verified by archaeology. It has not. But it has never been disproven or proven to be wrong. There's lots in the Bible that were yet to be proven with archaeology, like definitively, without a doubt. There's lots. But there's so much that has been proven, that has been shown, that what the Bible says actually is true. So, um, uh, yeah, let's do it this order. So my favourite example of this is something when I went, um, I was in London a few years ago, I went to the British Museum and in there I came across this little, um, uh, it looks like a rock, but it's so much more significant than that, uh, the cylinder of Neb- um, uh, Nabonidus. The cylinder of Nabonidus. And uh, Nabonidus is, is, was the king of Babylon around the time when Daniel was proposed to have written. And there was this issue in the book of Daniel where uh, Daniel keeps mentioning this King Belshazzar. But throughout history, there's been no mention of the King Belshazzar because after Nebuchadnezzar, there was someone and someone and then uh, Nabonidus and then, um, uh, and then King Cyrus came in and defeated them. But there's no mention of King Belshazzar except in Daniel. So then for, for years and years, historians were saying, Daniel got it wrong because he's referencing the wrong king. No one knows where this king's come from. Until 1950, they found this scroll from King Nabonidus. And, and this is what it says. Translate I didn't translate it. Someone else translated. Uh, As for me, Nabonidus, king of Babylon, save me from singing against your great Godhead and grant me... As, uh, as a present, a life of long days. And as for Belshazzar, the eldest son, my offspring, instill reverence for your great Godhead in his heart, that he may not commit any cultic mistake, may be sated with a life of plentitude. So they found this scroll, this little cylinder, that verifies that, uh, that King Nebonidas had a son, Belshazzar. And it also goes on to say that Belshazzar actually uh, sat in the place of uh, Nabonidus. Well, Nabonidus went and fought uh, King Cyrus um, uh, of uh, Assyria. No, not Assyria. Persia. That's right. Well done. Good on you, biblical scholars. Um, Yeah, so Nabonidus was fighting Cyrus. And while that was happening, King Belshazzar was ruling under King Nabonidus' name. So all history, all recorded documents would say any achievement of Belshazzar back in Babylon would be recorded as Nabonidus, except anyone who was close to that, anyone who was there. And so here we have an example of someone who was close to that who reveals that this was happening, that King Belshazzar was ruling in Nabonidus' place. We also have the book of Daniel written by one of the closest advisors to King Belshazzar, who, was, who claimed to be there and claimed to record these things, who even said that at one point Belshazzar promised that Daniel might be third in the kingdom. And when you think about that, actually adds up because this King Nabonidus, King Belshazzar, that's what he can offer. So here is a piece of archaeological evidence that demonstrates that Daniel knew what was going on at that time verifies the information that uh, the Bible provided. There's this other archaeologist, uh, Sir William Ramsey. Sir William, because he was knighted to mark his distinguished service to the world of scholarship, he's one of the most renowned archaeologists. And just to read his resume for a bit, he gained three honorary fellowships from Oxford Colleges. He got nine honorary doctorates from Britain um, and, uh, and the Continental North American University and he became an honorary member of almost every association devoted to archaeology and historical research. So this guy is like the bee's knees when it comes to archaeology and ancient history. Like He's the guy. And he was reading Luke and Acts and he went out and he thought, there's no way this is accurate. There's no way. And I've, I've got all this skill and capability in the world of archaeology. I'm going to go out and disprove what... Luke and Acts, specifically those books, have to say about uh, first century um, Israel and in and, and that world back then. But his conclusion, after doing all of that work, he said, further studied, showed that the book could bear the most minute scrutiny as an authority for the facts of the uh, Aegean world, like the world back then, and that it was written with such judgment, skill, arts, and perception of truth as to be a model of historical statement. As in, Luke and Acts is the standard for historical accuracy, says the greatest archaeologist of all time. He says as well, Luke is a historian of the first rank. The Orsha should be placed among the very greatest of historians. So from this... We can say that the external evidence is a big tick, that the other evidence we have at our disposal to judge the New Testament against, it it, it corroborates, it collaborates, it reinforces the reliability of this document, of this book. And so, this book here, it passes the bibliographical test Bibliographical test, sorry, passes the internal evidence test and it passes the external evidence test. Why do we have such a hard time believing it as a society, as a world? Because it has outrageous claims. Outrageous claims. Probably the most outrageous is what we celebrate over Easter is that Jesus, a human being, rises from the dead. And that defies physics, it defies the natural law, it defies what we can see and feel and touch. So either this document that passes every test that we have on reliability is not reliable, or there's something more to this world. There's something more to what we can see and feel and touch. There's something more to what we assume is right. One of these writers, Luke, not Luke, John, he, he says, uh, he explains why he writes his bibliography of Jesus, his historical account of Jesus. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So he's recording. The events that's happened. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you might have life in his name. This document that as Christians, we keep coming back to day after day. is. It's not just that we believe that it is the Word of God. It's this, this great teaching that we can live by, that it's you know a, a document that has great ideas. We believe that it records history, that records an event that our whole faith hinges on, that Jesus rose from the dead. And we believe that, that we might have that life, Jesus rose from the dead and that proves that same power that rose him from the dead might do the same for us too. And so I put it to you. Do you believe this document? Can you trust the Bible? There's some outrageous claims. There's some big ethical statements that it makes. Can we trust it? All the tests that we apply to any other document, would say yes. But ultimately, it comes to you and your approach to this book. Did Jesus rise from the dead? I believe he did. And I believe uh, that power is at work in all of us who believe. When I pray, and then we'll, we'll sing a few more songs celebrating that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this document that it was written by human beings. And even though uh, with that there was, there's flaws and mistakes and transmission things and all this kind of stuff, Lord, it has preserved and, uh, and it's just overwhelmingly reliable. The fact that there are so many manuscripts that are so close together, the fact that manuscripts have been found from years and years ago that verify that that hasn't changed over thousands of years, that uh, we have all this evidence to, to, to suggest that this document is a trustworthy document. Lord, we pray that we would put our trust in it, but not in the sense that this document saves us. Lord, may this book or this collection of books point us to the one who will save us, to Jesus Christ who died on a cross to pay for our brokenness and bad, mis- bad decisions and bad mistakes, who rose again and in that same power uh, promises to raise all of us He defeats death, defying all that we might expect based on what we can see and feel and touch because there's something greater, something bigger going on than all those things. We're accountable to something bigger than ourselves. So Lord, help us to trust in your Bible, in your word. One, because it's reliable. Two, because it's your word. And Let us submit ourselves to that. And as we go and we talk to other people, and we, um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe people here are uh, bullied or given a hard time for believing this outrageous document. Lord, give us confidence in your word. Again, not because of all these tests, but because it's yours. And you are greater than anything this world has to offer or might set against us. And so, Lord, equip us, use us, and transform us all for your glory.